Welcome to the Experts Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of what it really means to be in the media. Featuring interviews with media stable experts and some of Australia's prominent media. We'll break down some of the myths, the fears, the skills and the knowledge needed to succeed in the media. The Experts Podcast is for the business owner, communicator, PR professional, leader of industry or anyone looking to develop their profile to be a recognised expert. The Experts Podcast is powered by Media Stable. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Experts Podcast. My name's Nick Hayes. Hello, Carmen Braidwood. Nice to be here. Nice to be back. Yeah, it is good to be back, Carmen. And, you know, look, when we're talking old school media, Mm. when we are talking about the very foundations and the very basics of media, there isn't, not a lot's changed over the years. That's true. There's a lot that's the same, but there's been, I guess, a lot of technology and delivery methods that have changed on the outskirts that have maybe we've had to respond to. Oh, certainly. I mean, look, the amplification of it, how all the competition, the delivery points, oh my God, it has completely changed. But I sense and I feel, and and everyone I speak to, Mm. it's more about get the foundations right. And I think they stem back to the very early days. And there's no better person to talk to about the early days than uh, Phil Sylvester. He's the general manager of Media Stable in Sydney. Welcome to the show, Phil. Great to be here, Nick. Nice to talk to you, coming. I've been listening to you on the podcast since you joined us. Loving what you're doing. Oh, thank you, Phil. I'm going to take that as a really, really solid pat on the back from someone with your media credentials. Now, Phil, I did... <laughs> I, I did actually set you up as sort of, you know, the 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 man who's got the experience. I mean, you are you've been around media a fair time, and I, and I don't want to age you because you're a young young man at heart. How long have you been working in media? Oh, I added it up the other day. It's something like thirty-seven years. Thirty-seven so, yeah, years. Yeah. Oh, good. And I love the thing that. About that is, when you, when you hang around as long as I do, you sort of pick a few things up along the way. Of course you do, because <laughs> it requires a certain amount of personal nous, but also uh, there's, there are many skills. There are many skills that are required to stay in the media, and I probably should be asking you what they are, considering it's been 37 years. What's kept you in it so long? Uh, look, I think I've always applied the kids principle, you know, keep it simple, stupid, mm-hmm. um, and... You know, if you can break, especially when you're doing broadcast media, if you can just break it down into the simple elements. I mean, kind of as a joke, when I was a TV producer, I would say to the the new uh, reporters who came on board that TV news is uh, the correct cliche in the appropriate order. So, <laughs> you know, in a way, there's, you know, which was my way of explaining there's kind of a formula for it, you know? Like at journalism school, they teach you about the, you know, the inverted pyramid and the most important fact first and all Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. And just like breaking it down into this simple language like that is the best way to, uh, to succeed, I think. The experience that you've got, and let's go back to the very early days entering into media. Um, you know, I, I sometimes laugh and we comment, uh, mm. Carms, about, you know, uh, my media monitoring days hanging around the fax machine. You know, Phil, what were, what were the, the means and ways that a, a producer would extract content and get news? Is, was it the little black book back in the day for you? Oh, always. Always. And, mate, fax machine, I, we used to, I used to work when it was telex. <laughs> 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 and the noisiest machine 
ever. Got one in the background. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, always the black book. Even, um, I mean, like, you know, digital age now, it's just digital black book that we all still have. Mm. You know, you still cherish those contact, uh, contacts and you've got to nurture the, those relationships all along. But one of the things I used to do as well, especially when I worked in um, radio producing a talkback show, I would have the A4 size Spirax notebook and I'd use, you know, two pages a day and every number you were given and every name you were given got scribbled down on that in just like the craziest order. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, a book would last, you know, three weeks or something like that, but I kept them all. Oh, so, yes. you know, eventually, eventually we'd go, who was that bloke we spoke to about such and such? Give me the date, and I'd pull that book out and go through and find all the scribblings and all the notes and the phone number and all the other people we'd tried that day to get on as well. So, you know, yes, little black book or a stack of yellow Spirex notebooks is, is the other way. Yeah, that really reminds me, Phil, of hearing about jocks, radio jocks. My background being mostly radio was we were told to keep a, a bit of a record of stuff because there was no internet. So it, on a day that something historic occurred, today was the day that, you know, this p- politician did this to the other politician. Yep. You'd make a note of important dates and then effectively become your own little on this day monitor. Did you have a catalogue like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the thing about talkback radio is um, that you as the producer and the host, you have to be expert on everything Mm -hmm. because um, the audience, somebody in the audience may be an expert on the one thing that Mm. you're talking about today. So you're going to get pulled up if you don't get it right. So what's difficult about, you know, talkback is, being an expert on everything and remembering what you said three years ago (laughs) (laughs) and being consistent about what you said. So, Mm. yes, absolutely, keeping those notes is crucial. I I love the note-taking side of it. I think it's a really good call-out to everyone listening is to, you know, take those notes. However you take in information, Mm. uh, I think it's brilliant. I remember the great Glenn Mitchell who who broadcasts over here in Perth, who was an ABC sports broadcaster for many, many years, called some of the biggest sporting events uh, that Australia has ever been a part of. And he has this – he just takes notes – notes mm. prolifically around everything that's going on and he taught a lot of young broadcasters uh, sports broadcasters how he does it yes. and he's passed that on and they've become better broadcasters for it that's exquisite and you know what i think that applies to all experts and commentators out there as well really take in that information and 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 do the research but also to remember what you've said or remember who you've talked to cuz I think, you know, you've got to be consistent because you don't ever want to get pulled up as an expert going, hey, didn't you just say that sort of 12 months ago that you were, had the opposite point of view? Oh, dear. Yeah. You know, that yeah. wouldn't really work. Yeah. So yeah, feel- absolutely. Can I, can I just do a funny story about sports broadcasters? Because I started my career over in Perth as well. I've been oh, over yeah. in Sydney 26 years now, but I grew up in Perth. And I worked for uh, quite a while at uh, Count Seven, where Dennis Kometi, um, you know, was our reporter at the time. Like and a I cork in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I said, mate, I tumbled onto your technique. When you're commentating cricket, which is a slow game, mm-hmm. 
you use hyperbole. But when you're commentating on football, which is an exciting game, you understate it. And he's gone, yeah, don't tell too many people. <laughs> <laughs> so you summed him up in two sentences. So you've released his secret just <laughs> as he's retired and he's no longer broadcasting. Oh, no, but that's the only reason you can let that out. Yeah, um, that's it. Phil, you're a you're you're sort of a I guess a, a student of earned media. You've you've really studied and and look at how earned media uh, works for individuals and for brands. Tell us a little bit about the importance of earned media because, you know, you don't have to tell me. I'm a subscriber to your theory. But, you know, what is it about earned media that is important for any expert out there? Well, can I explain how I've got into it to start off with? Please do. um, I mean, I've been a broadcast journalist for, you know, a long time and um, was working in TV and, you know, Sacked one day, as you do in media. You do, yeah. High five <laughs> uh, to do. that. Not anybody till yeah, you've been sacked. Yeah. I know folks who've been sacked half a dozen times, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I went over from TV to radio, which I absolutely adored. I thought TV was, you know, fast paced, but radio, unbelievable. But mm-hmm. whilst I was there, a friend of mine was uh, the general manager of a travel insurance company, and he wanted to create content. And he said, mate, can you come over? Can you create some content for us around travel and around traveling safely? So I went, yeah, beauty, love to. Who doesn't want to write about travel? So I went over there and I created all of this content. And two things really happened to me whilst there. One of them was um, my friend who was the general manager. He said to me, now you've created this content, you better market it. So I, I became involved in understanding what wasn't even at that time known as, but soon after became known as content marketing. Hmm. And the other thing was the uh, the CEO of the company bailed me up one day and he said, how do we know your content works? You know, how do we know it's driving sales? And I said, well, you can try switching it off for six months and see how you go. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, no, we're not going to do that. So I said, okay, so we both agree it works. And he said, yes, but back to the old marketing question, 50% of my marketing work, problem is I don't know which 50%. Mm. Yeah. So then those two things then start leading you down this whole rabbit hole of trying to understand how to market your content and measure how you're doing it and what is the value that you can bring to the business from that content. Now, the other thing that, that the CEO asked me was what's the ROI of content? And, of course, that's a you know, $64 million question because, mm-hmm. you know, you can't prove that a piece of content that you publish on a web on a website that somebody reads, three months later, they go, oh, I remember reading that on you yeah. know, that travel insurance website. I better go and buy my policy from them. You can't track that. The best you can do is, you know, a 90-day cookie if somebody goes – directly from your page to buying a policy. So you can't really prove, and as most companies have got a P&L, you know, the profit and loss, and they want to know the money we spent out, how many sales did that create? And you can't mm. do that with content. And so I said to him, look, okay, I can't prove how all of the content um, works for you, but I can prove how some of it does. So mm. We actually took some of the content that we already had and I put it into PDF form, and I put it behind um, an email gate. 
so you could download this, you know, pocket guide to travelling safely in Thailand and download it in exchange for an email. And then, the, you know, the, the digital marketing and the digital sales teams then got behind that and they were able to remarket to them. Would have loved and it. Say, yeah, and eventually they became customers, and we could we could track the value of the customer over time because obviously people travel more than once. So in the end, we could prove the value of a certain piece of content, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, you know, it was it was like thousands of dollars per customer, and and you could actually collect something that was uh, something that you could use. It was an email address. It yeah. was a, the right audience. It was the right market. It was the right person. They're pre-qualified, Pre-qual- ready to go. They love what you do. Correct. So, Phil. That's right. But, I mean, content marketing and measuring that or even measuring advertising, it's difficult in, in all cases because when the bean counters get involved, when mm. they're looking for the financial return, yeah. they're only seeing the immediate financial return. They can't see the future. And I think I think for a lot of us that are listening, when you're building your profile, when you're building your expertise and you're building something that is going to be strong for the future, you can't do it overnight. Mm. It won't happen overnight. But if you do no. it over a period of time, you've got to be patient. And I, I think my message here, and I'd love to hear your views on this, Phil, is that patience doesn't seem to be something that a lot of the bean counters businesses have, and neither does media, by the way. Media's probably got the least patience of all. And True. I, and, I, and I refer to the fact that they want immediate returns. Oh, ratings. Ratings, yeah, correct. Yeah, just overnight and want to know the result. Yeah. But for, for anyone that's delivering and building themselves a profile, they've got to invest some time into this. Well, exactly. And there's the thing, that was kind of the next stage of my development. I watched this TED Talk by a fellow called Simon Sinek. Oh, and love he, him. Had, he had, you know, Start With Why is his very famous book, and this TED Talk started it all for me. And it's something I still go and watch a couple of times a year. But the essence of it is people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Correct. And by what? If, you say, if I'm selling my product and I'm telling you the benefits of it and, you know, how cheap it is and whatever, you're talking about the what. I don't care about that. But if you can tell me why you are selling what you're selling and I, you know, empathise with that and I can I can feel like we are in the same tribe because mm. of mm-hmm. what you believe in, I will buy your product eventually, which is why Apple is so incredibly successful, which is why Red Bull is so incredibly successful. You know, Red Bull, for heaven's sake, they sell a really dodgy drink. Yeah. Highly I, caffeinated muck. Yeah. Yeah, highly caffeinated muck. But it'll give you wings. Up in Thailand, <laughs> it's better anyway. <laughs> yep. But, you know, they sell adventure. They do. And and that is their why. So, if you, you know, like – and. You know what it's like. People come to us and they go, you know, I want to make sure people know about my product. Forget that. Forget that. That's not going to get you media coverage. But if you can tell people why you do what you do, your product will sell itself. Yeah, and pick an episode of the Experts podcast from this year. Sarah Rusbatch is a perfect example Correct. of someone who's got a wonderful why because, she, you know, she had a problem with alcohol. Now she has a range of non-alcoholic drinks and she coaches other people to deal with their grey area drinking. You know, the, the story is the key and people who yep. wouldn't even consider themselves to have that problem are going, oh, hang on, I need to listen to you. Yeah, I, I look, I, I love that. That is just so critical for mm. building uh, your profile, for building building your authority, your expertise level, because 
again, if you're selling a product or a service, head over to the advertising department. Mm. But Correct. And if you want people to recognise you as an expert, as an authority, tell them who you are, what you do, why you do it. And I think that's the that's the big thing. I, I've, I'm amazed by how many people bring me a product and a service. And I, my first question is to, so how did you get there? Yeah. Where did this all start? Because yeah. Yeah. it's the and, human and this, story behind it. And this goes back to what you were just saying before about, you know, like measuring success. Because um, selling your product, talking about your product benefits, is, and can you believe a journalist is about to say the word, Sales funnel, mm. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> advertising is way down the sales funnel. Yep. Content, content marketing, and earn media is at the top of the funnel, and it's about widening the mouth of the funnel to get more people in. And I would say, I would always say to people at the travel insurance company, mate, I just got you, a, we would get a million views a month from the uh, travel safety content I created. And I would say, mate, I've got a million people into the funnel for you. Now yeah. it's your job to convert them. That's right. right. You go. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why it's so hard to prove the ROI of content because it's way at the top of the funnel. Do you think maybe we could kind of explain it in a sales way by saying that the traditional rep out on the road uses this inadvertently? You know, a rep who's out there meeting people face-to-face, they would have a personal story and they would build relationships, but they'd only be able to do it in real time. One handshake at a time, one meeting at a time, one coffee at a time, one car journey between locations at a time. The alternative through content is so much more effective and and can allow you to scale really, really bloody quickly. And in my case, one appearance on Studio 10 as a travel expert at the time. Yeah. You know, that's how we did it. And I, I, we sold travel insurance. Um, but I very rarely did any media talking about the insurance product. Mm. I spoke about the joy of travel. I mean, I did things on Studio 10 about, um, you know, wacky hotels around the world. And, <laughs> like and, and, and the only, the only, you know, quid pro quo that the accountant really had to go on was, Phil Sylvester from Travel Insurance Direct joins us now. But that was pure gold. Mm. You know, you don't have to sell Travel Insurance Direct. You just have to sell travel and, you know, the joy of travel. And it, people go, yes, let's go. I want to go see that wacky hotel where the giraffes stick their head in the window. What was that bloke's <laughs> name again? Where yeah. was he? Travel Insurance Direct. Correct. And your name is the most powerful thing here because mm. at the end of the day, who was that guy that was on Studio 10? Oh, that was Phil yep. Sylvester. And when you Google him, it goes to the company name. Yeah. And as would any of our experts, you don't have to keep reinforcing your brand name or your product and everything like that. And Phil, I think you just hit on something that the, the greatest sale that you can ever make, and this is for all experts out there, if you've got something to sell, the greatest sale you can make is when you are talking about something that has nothing to do with it, mm. but it, it yep. always returns back to it if that just little byproduct of it. And by the way, Phil's talking holidays and the most amazing trips around the world, but guess what you need when you do that? You need a bit of travel insurance. Uh, well, you know, the thing, the thing is with those wacky hotels, and I did mention the place where giraffes roam around outside your hotel and they stick their heads mm. in the window and at your breakfast and stuff like that. And somebody said, I think it was Joe Hildebrand said, you know, 
what about the lions? And I went, mate, you know, it's a park. It's okay. They don't have any lions. And then I think, I seem to recall, somebody said, um, you know, what if the lion does attack you? You know, like, are, are you coming for that? And it was like, well, that's actually an interesting conversation because if you're randomly attacked by a lion, yes. But if you're petting a lion in a petting zoo, no. Wow. It's a wild animal, mm. for heaven's sake, you know. So I got, you know, the thing away about travel insurance during that one. It happened inadvertently anyway because people tap into your expertise if it just happens to be there, don't they? That's right. Thank well you. done. Well done. I think that's the perfect little piece. <laughs> Phil, audience, let's talk audience for a moment because in your time and when you've worked and uh, obviously pitching stories, presenting stories to an audience, has the audience changed over the last 30, 35 years? Have you seen it? It's Has it migrated? Obviously, the technology, the different hmm. uh, options they have, but have you seen changes in audiences? Well, first of all, can I say that the, the common belief, uh, and it's true, it is happening, is that their newsrooms are shrinking. There are fewer journalists in newsrooms who are being asked to do more. Mm-hmm. But my view is that there are actually, because of technology, more reporters and journalists than there have ever been. Sure. Uh, you know, they may be bloggers, influencers, call them whatever you want. But because everybody has access to the tools these days, crikey, you can make your own TV channel just using an iPhone instead of, you know, a massive studio building and, you know, $300,000 cameras and things like that. So the, the technology has changed so that there are now more reports than there, than there ever have been. The audience then has more choice. So, you know, I, rem- I remember not that long ago, TV program didn't crack a million nationally, it got canned. They'd be lucky to get 300,000 these days. So the audience is still there, but it's just so much more diversified and they're using different sources and, you know, it's completely diluted. Uh, So I I think the audience is not less than it ever used to be. People are not turning off news, but they are turning on to different sources of it as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I, th- I, th- I think people, the way consumers now are using it is mm. that when when broadcasters were broadcasting to you, it was yeah. at a time. It was a time on their time frames and in their world. Whereas today, because we have got the technology and the ability to call on any program, yeah. um, it's on our time. And so that's the challenges there for media is actually, I agree with you, Phil. If you, if you didn't have a million um, uh, viewers oh, back, in the of, day. back on yeah. the, let's use the project as an example. Yeah. You know, they were hitting one million views nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd be yep. lucky to hit 300,000 today. Yeah. But people are watching the program in different places in, yeah. in their own right. time. And they're going back to have a look at it. And the use of social yep. media, it's still a very important piece of content. Yeah, so it's really an opportunity rather rather than a disadvantage. And so while we're saying the audience is getting fragmented, at the end of the day, the things that get their attention are still exactly the same, aren't they? Absolutely. And and the show is still of the same quality. Mm. It's just that people's timeframes and their expectations, they've got different expectations of media today and they can call on it at any point at any time. So how do we get their attention? Can I say fragmented? That's the word I was looking for. I'm a journalist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you hate it when that happens? I know a confidence yeah. <laughs> on camera coach who can help you with that. Don't worry. It'll be fine. <laughs> and look, I just getting back to that, I mean, you know, like you're talking about how do you measure the ROI of content. 
the, the broadcasters, two things about broadcasters, the broadcasters have the same problem with being able to get the ROI. I mean, their, their general broadcast audience is smaller than ever it was. But I reckon their reach is probably bigger than it ever was. Mm. But how do they measure that? They've got the same problem that, that you know content makers have of how do you measure that? And the other thing is, I mean, you know, despite everybody uh, opining the, you know, the death of broadcast media, it is still the most effective way to get your message out there. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, I totally agree, and I think one of the one of the recent articles that I I even uh, wrote for uh, a mainstream paper, uh, not just the audience of that paper mm. that read the article, but when you put it up on socials, you know, I had fifty or oh, fifty two thousand views yeah. on LinkedIn. It reaches over, a whole other audience. Over three hundred other engagements, um, and a hundred and twenty odd comments. But I had five incoming inquiries to how do I do what you do? Yes. And that yeah. was like, wow, that's why we do this. Yeah. Um, sure, we write our heads and, you know, we put our opinion and our position out there. And that takes a bit of bravery and to, you know, to go and do that mm. because you're putting your head above the parapet. But we do it because, you know, and particularly from a media stable perspective, we're doing it because we're practicing what we preach. Yes. But for yep. others out there, get yourselves involved in traditional media, in broadcast media, because it's one of the still the greatest platforms to, 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 to be seen as an expert. Because then you're sure as hell going to be putting it out in your socials and everyone else is going to see it. But of course, Phil, the quandary for anyone in business or an expert is, well, what do I bloody write about? For them, it can be really hard <laughs> to decide what the story is going to be that's going to get picked up. What gets picked up? Uh, there's a thing I do when people contact me and um, through Media Table, and, and this is something I learned when I was at the travel insurance company because this is because I did a thing called news jacking. When I was at the, you know, an insurance company, can you imagine how scared they were every time the media had a sniff around them, yeah. especially travel insurance and denied claims. And of course, I walked in there and I went, you know, somebody go, oh, the media's gone. I'm like, give it to me, give it to me. Every media call is an opportunity yes. because you can turn it around. And even if you, I mean, like if you've done the wrong thing, fix it and be seen to be fixing it, which helps your reputation. Yeah. But generally, you know, there was always another story to tell. And so I, I, I discovered when, if you can inject your story into the news cycle early enough, because your story, the place your story is least likely to be seen is on your own website. Yep. So what you need to do is get somebody else to amplify that message for you. Mm -hmm. And who have got the big, who has got the biggest audience and the biggest authority and trust around them? The news organisations. So if you can get your story injected into the news cycle early enough, you can rise that authority and trust and audience reach. So... Imagine I'm, I'm a big fan of Venn diagrams. I'm sorry, this is podcast, and because I'm, 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 I'm he's a very visual, he's a very visual character. Our Phil, <laughs> I've got to say, <laughs> I'm making circles in the air with my fingers right now. Well, I'm recording <laughs> this, so I'll do that too, <laughs> Phil. We'll all do it the together. First, the first circle is, you know, a topic, a news item, anything, you know, whatever. Then the, the first intersecting circle is the media interest in that. So there's a little sliver in there. That's what the media is currently interested in about that topic. Mm -hmm. Now take the third circle, your knowledge about that topic, and where the three of those intersect in that Venn diagram, that tiny little sweet spot in the middle there, that's what you can talk about. Uh -huh. That's when you can go to the media and say, 
mate, I know you're interested in this topic. This is what I know about it. And they will go, beauty, thanks very much. Bang, you're in the news cycle. And, and look, it is a serious issue too, though, mm. Calms, because people are, they're experts in their spaces and they go, I just don't know how to find that right pitch and topic to do. Phil's just gone through that yeah. process. Yeah. But I think it's even more important. Get some advice. Yeah. Get some people that know what they're doing and get them around you and get them to guide you to find that right piece to mm. write about because, um, you know, you can do spend a lot of time writing content that just won't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And by the way, when you say don't go anywhere, it can still sit on your website. It can, it can be, be owned a blog. media. It can be owned media That's for right. sure. Yeah. But you'll be surprised. There's a lot of owned media that's sitting out there on websites that should be earned. And what and you've I, done by mistake is a little thing called bearing the lead, isn't it? You yeah. may have written it out from a, a your yeah. business point of view and, and right down the bottom there'll be some little skerrick in there that's newsworthy and you've missed it. Yeah. Go. But, well, we have, we have, as you say, but we've got an example of that one, Nick, and you can tell this story better than I, but it was um, one of our clients, a, a chain of gyms in Perth, and they were hitting, you know, like a milestone. They'd been open for... I don't know what it was, 20 years from the top of my head or whatever it was. And they and they wanted to, you know, say, oh, you know, 20 years, blah, blah, blah. And we were going, nobody cares, mate. Nobody cares that you've been there for 20 years. And But in that discussion, somebody said, yeah, we've still got one of our original customers. Uh-huh. He's, he's, he's 90 years old. He's been coming, you know, five times a week for the last 20 years and he's clocked up to 5,000 hours. Ching, ching. And we went, <laughs> and that's where we go, wait, what? <laughs> ching ching, and they and they and they were all over press in, in Perth because of this, you know, ninety-year-old customer, yeah, and, and they Jim got mentioned. Bang, yeah. yeah, you know, and that's the thing. It's it's the it's the thing you will say anyway. You will find yourself, and again, going back to that sales rep example, a sales rep will say these things about the radio station they're selling. It's the heritage station. They've been around. I remember the first day they played a song on FM radio. You know, those stories that make products uh, human and that make us connect with them, they're the ones you want to be looking for. Uh, human yeah. human is everything. And I think, you know, the, the, the five elements of a good story, topical, relevant, unusual, there's a little bit of trouble, but mm-hmm. also to the number one human, H. So there's your truth bomb right there. Mm-hmm. Hey, Phil, we've run out of time, mate. Very good. Um, love talking to you about media, particularly with your pedigree of it. Um, also to that full media cycle comes yeah. because it's not just about being a journalist. He was pitching. The journalists, ne- the media never had a chance when Phil was going up against them because he knew all their tricks. I love it. I've learned a lot from you today, Phil. I'm delighted. I feel like this was career development for me. Thank can you. I, can I- can I tell you, it's like, you know, the producers of the TV shows and what have you, and they go, oh, you know, can you come on the program and talk about so-and-so? And because that's what I used to, I mean, I was a TV producer for so mm. long, I go, yeah, right, I'll write the script for you. So I, just, <laughs> I send them the completed script, including, you know, joining yourself from Triple H. Job done, because you understand yeah. what they're up against. Yeah, love uh, it. Beautiful. The, point, the point I said to me, if you ask me these questions, you will get the best answers. Yeah. Lovely. We should have done that. What's that? Yes, yeah. and to prepare the. No, the no, 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 I know today. him too well. We wouldn't get a word in. It'll be just all him. 
Now, <laughs> Phil, thanks for coming on to the Experts Podcast. Now, looking forward to catching up with you on Thursday night uh, where we do a little mini Meet the Media. We've uh, we've got Monica Lepore from Sunrise and we've got the young uh, producer Tori. from Studio 10, Tori. Oh, wonderful. So Tori we're, Green. And yep. we're doing that in Sydney. So, uh, well, it's going to be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to, uh, to catching up with you then. And um, and having a little wine and uh, some food. Oh, sounds lovely. Mate, it's, it is too long since you and I broke bread together, mate. Well, too, too long. Well, since you've been an employee of Media Stable, we haven't done it because my Premier mate. wouldn't let us out of the state, would he? <laughs> hey, um, no, lo- love your work, Phil, and thanks for joining us on the Experts Podcast. Calms, he's not bad, that old Phil. He's, uh, he does it. He tells it how awe. it is. I really am delighted to hear from Phil, and I look out Sydney is all I have to say when you two hit the town. Yeah. Enjoy. Now, Phil, it'd be remiss, I should ask, if people want to get in contact with you, how do they do it? Phil at mediastable.com.au. I'm all over LinkedIn as well, just with Phil Sylvester. Sylvester with a Y. Yes, my nickname was Puss at school or Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> nice work. All right, mate. Well, look, have a good one, and uh, we look forward to catching up during the week. And I look forward to catching up with you next week, Carms, when we get to talk to another expert in another media. See you then. You've been listening to the Experts Podcast, powered by Media Stable. If you'd like to get in contact with the team, head to mediastable.com.au.